welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've joined us. Yesterday, Amy Stevens became the first person ever to have the U.S. Supreme Court hear a discrimination complaint on the basis of gender identity. Amy is a transgender woman from right here in Metro Detroit. She was fired from the Harris Funeral Home in Livonia after she transitioned from being a man and began showing up at work as a woman. Her case could help decide whether federal law that bans sex discrimination applies to sexual orientation and to gender identity. Amy Stevens joins us now from Washington, D.C., where she attended oral arguments in front of the Supreme Court yesterday. Amy, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you, Steve, for having me. Um, We're glad that it's finally over uh, for now. Uh, it's a waiting game at this point, and mm-hmm. we'll see what the justices have to say, hopefully by June of next year. Yes, yes. Uh, also joining us is Dan Karabkin. He is the legal director of the ACLU of Michigan. Dan, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me on, Stephen. So, Amy, I, I want to start with you, and I, I want to go back to before all of this happened to you at Harris Funeral Home. I want you to talk about what you went through in the time leading up to your decision to come out as transgender at work. What was going on uh, with you that, that made it the right time for you to say, this is who I am and I need to be this person all the time, including at work? Well, to start from where this began, um, prior, I was living as a woman at home and in public and only presented as a male at work. And I got to the point that I couldn't keep living two separate lives. And in 2012 is when it came to a head for me, because uh, I had considered taking my own life and instead I chose to live. I realized that I liked me too much and I had too much to live for. So I started writing the letter that I gave to Harris and it took a while to get it right to where it explained what I was going through, uh, what I needed to do and my plans for the future. And then of course, when I gave them the letter, they read it and tucked it away and said, uh, we'll have to think about it. So two weeks later, they came back with a letter for me, uh, basically dismissing me, offering a severance package. And in order to accept that severance package, I'd have to agree basically to keep my mouth shut and not say anything. Um, And after talking with my wife, we decided that that amount of money wasn't worth keeping our mouths shut for the rest of our lives. Mm. So we decided to contact the ACLU and we took it from there to the EEOC. They investigated, they found out that discrimination had occurred and 
we went to court and here we are at the Supreme Court. Right, right. It's a really it's a really long journey. I, I wonder if you can talk about how surprised you might have been by your employer's response. This is a place that you worked for a very long time and I get the sense that you had a pretty good relationship with uh, with your bosses before all of this occurred. Well, I thought we did. Uh, I'd always gotten positive work reviews and um, and then all of a sudden, once the letter came out, they decided they didn't need me anymore. And what was your reaction when they fired you? Talk about it that hurt. day. Yeah, It hurt. Uh, I felt like I'd been done wrong, and I got mad. Um, mad enough to stand up for myself. And do something about it. And as we were going through the process, I realized that I wasn't the only one that this was happening to. And it became a a fight and a journey for not only myself, but thousands of others. Uh, Dan Karofkin, there's some important legal context uh, to understand this case. This is about sex discrimination under the law, but it is about whether transgender issues and gender identity are covered by the sex discrimination statutes we have. Talk about how that works and how the arguments that you guys have fashioned make the case for gender identity being part of sex discrimination law. Yes, Stephen, the um, uh, civil rights laws in this country have been uh, uh, applied for years, in fact, for almost 20 years now, to protect people on the basis of transgender identity and 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 sexual orientation. Um, and in fact, if the Supreme Court rules against uh, Amy, they would be taking away uh, the rights that have been uh, in our country for for decades now, uh, interpreted by federal and state courts. Uh, that um, uh, that protect people on the basis of sexual orientation and gender identity from being fired from their jobs just because of who they are. And we're talking, of course, about uh, uh, 1.5 million transgender Americans, uh, millions more uh, Americans who identify as uh, gay, lesbian, or bisexual. Um, and, you know, uh, uh, millions of Americans are going to work every day uh, they're doing their jobs, they're doing a good job, and they don't deserve to be fired just for who they are. Um, and courts have been recognizing that for decades now, and if the Supreme Court rules the other way, uh, we're going to be taking a big step backwards when it comes to civil rights in our country. At the same time, states like Michigan, many other states, still have laws that permit people to be fired, for instance, for who they are. And that's one of the, the fronts that we still have to fight after the marriage equality ruling from the Supreme Court that that keeps people who are gay or trans or bi in a separate class under under the law. That's right. And, and you know, what we were making, the argument we were making in the Supreme Court and in all the courts for this issue is actually a very conservative argument. Um, the laws to protect, prohibit discrimination on the basis of sex. Uh, and it's a very simple fact that you cannot fire someone who is transgender or uh, or gay uh, without considering 
sex. Uh, being transgender is, uh, by definition, having a gender, Id gender identity uh, that's different from the sex that was assigned to you at birth. Being gay is, by definition, uh, being attracted to someone of the same sex rather than someone of the opposite sex. So this is discrimination based on sex, and it's a very, uh, very simple uh, uh, test that the courts have to go through. Um, and uh, when they go through that test, they have uh, generally realized and recognized uh, that this is illegal sex discrimination. Now, what we don't know is whether the Supreme Court is going to uh, continue along that path or uh, whether we're going to see a retrenchment of civil rights. Uh, but there's no question that you, uh, if you're an employer and you're firing someone not because of any misconduct at work, you know, they're a great employee, but you're firing them because they're transgender, because of who they're, what sex they're attracted to, uh, that's discrimination because of sex. And it's illegal under federal and state law. Uh, but you're right, uh, Stephen, we, uh, we need to keep up the fight to make sure that uh, these protections are guaranteed for all people, uh, regardless of who they are. So, so let's talk about how oral arguments went yesterday in front of the court. Did the justices seem open in the number that you need, in, in terms of five of them, to the idea that uh, this, is, this is sex discrimination and against the law? Well, I've definitely uh, uh, decided long ago that I'm very bad at making predictions about how these cases <laughs> the are going to come out. Uh, but the answer to your question is, did they recognize what these arguments were? Absolutely. Um, and, uh, and I think that even the conservative justices recognized that what we were making was essentially a very conservative argument. You know, conservative uh, uh, judges want to just look at the text of a statute. They don't want to have to think about, you know, broader social implications and, and, and you know, what, um, uh, what may have been in the air, so to speak, when laws were passed. All they want to do is look at the, the text of the law. And when you look at the text of the law, there's no question um, that uh, discriminating, firing someone because of their gender identity or their sexual orientation is discrimination uh, because of sex under the law. And a very powerful thing, Stephen, happened at oral argument yesterday. Um, uh, the, the attorney from the ACLU who was arguing the case uh, uh, made a very clear point, which was that you know there are 1.5 tra million transgender Americans going to work every day in this country. They're here. They're going to work. They're they're doing their jobs. They're walking around. They're going into stores. They're they're you know they're going food shopping. Uh, there's and he and one of the things he said was there are transgender attorneys in this courtroom today, Your Honor. And Justice Gorsuch, who was the person engaged in that colloquy, said, "Yes, of course there are." And that was the first time in American history that the Supreme Court has even recognized the existence of transgender people. I think that's a big step. Uh, and I think it uh, I think it's an important one for for the rights of transgender Americans throughout the country. Amy Stevens, I'm also curious what your reaction was. You were in the courtroom yesterday as the justices heard oral arguments in your case. Did you feel as though they were receptive to the idea that this was discrimination, that what you experienced was wrong? I think they're recognizing it finally. Um, I would have to say that I'm optimistic about the outcome, but there again, I wouldn't uh, predict what they're going to do. Uh, we'll just have to wait and see. 
Uh, this is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guests are Amy Stevens, who worked as funeral director at the Harris Funeral Home in Livonia for six years before she was fired for being transgender. The U.S. Supreme Court heard arguments in her employment discrimination case yesterday in Washington. Also with us is Dan Karamkin. He's the legal director for the ACLU of Michigan. The ACLU is representing Amy in her case at the U.S. Supreme Court. If you want to join the conversation, Give us a call. Tell us if you have faith that the current Supreme Court, with this new conservative majority, a little bit different makeup than we've seen in recent years, will uphold the civil rights of all Americans. Should an employer be legally allowed to fire someone based on sexual identity, gender identity, if someone is transgender or gay? Is that somehow different? than firing somebody because they are a man or a woman? Is that as egregious to you as someone being fired because of their race or their religion? Also, things that our Constitution and the laws prohibit. As always, the number on the phones here is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Uh, you can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we will try to work you into the conversation. Colin, tell us what you think of this entire area of law, this idea of sex discrimination applying to people who are transgender. Is that something that you think is a no-brainer uh, under the way that the laws are worded and structured in this country, or is it something that you think people need to think about? Is this one of these sort of cultural transitions that takes place over long periods of time? Uh, Dan Karamkin, I want to I ask you a little more about the, the, the court. Um, the, 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 the vote that seems to matter the most here, I think, is the vote of Chief Justice John Roberts, who kind of inherits the swing vote role from Justice Anthony Kennedy. Did we learn much from Justice Roberts, from the chief yesterday, about what he's thinking about this case? I don't know how much we learned just from the oral argument itself, Stephen, but uh, we know a couple of things about the chief justice. Uh, first is he has uh, uh, talked before about how uh, uh, when it comes to uh, people because of their sexual orientation or, or gender identity, that that is very closely related to sex. Um, and in fact, when the marriage cases were being argued, he pointed out himself at oral argument uh, that if someone was uh, wanting to marry someone uh, of the opposite sex versus marrying someone of the same sex, that isn't that just an instance of sex discrimination if the state allows one and not the other. So he gets that argument. And then the second thing about the Chief Justice, Stephen, is that uh, he's very uh, uh, invested in the institutional integrity um, and um, uh, and, uh, and stability of the court. Um, and what, uh, what we know is that uh, uh, the majority of Americans actually are surprised if they learn or if they hear that this is even a question now, that, e that, that it's really up for grabs whether, uh, uh, whether employers are allowed to fire people because of their gender identity or their sexual orientation when, when the employee is doing nothing wrong, when the employee is a, is, is a good employee. Um, and so uh, I think the chief justice uh, uh, must be recognizing that, you know, if they were to rule against Amy Stevens and against rights for transgender and uh, uh, gay Americans, that would be a retrenchment of civil rights. That would be a, a, a case of our country going backwards. 
Um, and, and, you know, whatever you may think about uh, uh, having new rulings from the Supreme Court, uh, most Americans don't want to see us go backwards. Most Americans think, you know, either we go forwards fast or we go forward uh, slowly. Mm-hmm. But the idea of turning the bus around and going in the opposite direction, uh, it's not good for the court. It's not good for the country. And so I hope that will be on uh, all the justices' minds, and I'm sure it'll be on the mind of the chief justice as well. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Let's go to Heather in Ferndale. Heather, what's on your mind? Hi, good morning. Um, I just wanted to say I'm in the camp of I can't believe this is an issue. I mean, it's just insane to me. Discrimination is discrimination is discrimination. How can you? I just find it unbelievable that it has had to go all the way to the Supreme Court. And I also wanted to just say I, I'm also thinking that uh, Chief Justice Roberts will maybe, even if they get some conservative votes against, I have a feeling that Chief Justice Roberts just won't want to see. It just opens, it, that's, it's like opening a Pandora's box, mm-hmm. I think. If you say that you can discriminate here, I mean, it just leaves it open to all kinds of discrimination. I don't think Americans would be accepting of that, and I think Roberts probably recognizes that. Heather, I I think you may be right. Uh, I I think that uh, one of the things that's true about the chief justice is his distaste for the idea of discrimination, the idea of acting against someone on the basis of, of who they are, and I think that's probably the most powerful argument in favor of him siding with 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 Amy Stevens, Dan Karabgan, I want to I want to ask you about how frequently these kind of things still happen. As as Heather points out, it, it seems very obvious that you shouldn't be able to do this kind of thing, and yet we do see it happen in the workplace. We see it happen a lot, Stephen. Um, at the ACLU, we get uh, uh, complaints and 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 requests for assistance all the time. Uh, from uh, members of the LGBT community about the ex- the discrimination they experience, and uh, 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 surveys reveal that all all over the country, the majority of uh, transgender Americans have suffered discrimination in the workplace, and so this is a real and persistent problem. Um, it is the reason why. Uh, uh, bills are being introduced in Congress and in the legislatures of most of the states, including Michigan, uh, to uh, uh, to clarify or to reinforce the idea that discrimination against people because of who they are uh, should be prohibited. Um, but it's uh, it's not going away just because we're here in the 21st century, and and we need laws. Um, civil rights laws and civil rights protections uh, to prevent it from happening to people who deserve to go to work every day and do a good job and not be uh, harassed and not be uh, uh, kicked out and not be fired uh, just for being who they are. Again, Heather, I appreciate the call and the comments. Let's go to Gregory in Detroit. Gregory, welcome to Detroit today. Just uh, wanted to say that uh, I'm aware that uh, it is it is discrimination uh, for to an employee to uh, uh, fire them because of their gender, but I believe the, the employer does have a, a position that you falsified your application when you came to us. You told us that you were a man, 
and I, uh, there's many impro- many uh, applications I filled out. You know, they tell you that if you falsify your uh, application, you you are due to be fired or anything. So I'm just saying, under the curtain, it is not necessary for a person to come in and sort of like put a curtain over the fact that uh, I want to be a woman. Mm-hmm. If she had a, came out and just told the truth that what was going to happen, I don't see no point. Yeah, Gregory, that's a that's an interesting that's a really interesting point to raise. Amy Stevens, talk about when you went to work at Harris Funeral Home and what you said on your application about your gender and how that may have changed over the time that you worked there. Well, I don't think gender was ever ever came up on the application. Uh, they assumed I was male and. You know, I didn't uh, tell a, a distruth when I applied, mm-hmm. but that's, I mean, a lot of applications don't ask about gender anymore. They don't. No. And while you were, your 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 transformation from being a man to a woman, that took place while you were an employee there, isn't that right, that... that- this is when you transitioned from one to the other. Yes. So it's not as if you were telling them one thing and doing another. It's that life changed for you, and that's what they reacted to. Dan Crobbin, yeah, Dan Crobbin. I think that that points up, you know, another difficulty here. This this idea that again, if life changes for an employee. Does a does an employer have a right to to note that in any way? And in Amy's case, do they have the right to to just dismiss that person because of that change? And does that change, I guess, trigger these legal protections that were meant to prevent people from suffering discrimination? Yeah, you know, I, I mean, I think uh, there may be some jobs where it really does have to be a job that's performed by a man or performed by a woman, and if. Uh, that's no longer possible. That that's kind of a different situation. Um, certainly, uh, Amy was in a, a job that uh, she performed very well uh, when she presented as a man, and it was a job that she could continue to perform uh, very well uh, as she uh, became uh, identified as as a woman. And so, there's no um, there's no question that uh, for the vast majority of people, uh, it doesn't matter whether you're a man or a woman. If you can do your job well, uh, you shouldn't be fired from it. Um, but, you know, I mean, I suppose it would be a similar question if, if someone, uh, you know, changed their religion while they were at their job. Uh, for the vast majority of jobs, it really doesn't matter to the employee what, or the employer, you know, what someone's religion is. If they go from uh, being, uh, being Christian to being, uh, to being Jewish or being Muslim, you know, people, people make changes in their lives. And unless there's something very particular about that job where it really matters— uh, firing someone or or taking any adverse action or, or harassing them in any way because of that kind of change in their life uh, is wrong. It's discriminatory, uh, and it is illegal under our civil rights laws. Okay, Amy Stevens and Dan Korobkin, it was really great to have both of you here with us on Detroit Today. Thanks for being with us. Thanks, Thanks so for much, having Stephen. me, Stephen. 
Okay, up next, we're going to continue this conversation. We're going to talk about progressive causes and civil rights in the American justice system, how they may be changing now that the Supreme Court has a different makeup. Melissa Murray, who's a professor of law at NYU and is speaking at Wayne State University tomorrow, is going to join us. Stay with us and stay with us on the phones. Kevin in Sterling Heights, Mike in Brighton will get to you as well. If you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is the number. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Today on 1019 WDET, I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. This week's arguments in front of the U.S. Supreme Court could help define this court, which is now dominated by conservatives and has a swing vote in the hands for many issues of Chief Justice John Roberts. So, what will the makeup of this court mean for progressive causes like civil rights and other social justice issues in America? Here to help us think a little more deeply and a little differently about that question is Melissa Murray. She's a professor of law at NYU, and she's speaking at Wayne State University tomorrow uh, about political realignment, reproductive rights, and justice. Melissa Murray, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you for having me. So first of all, we just heard from Amy Stevens, the local woman at the center of this first transgender discrimination case to go before the Supreme Court. What are your thoughts about that case? And what do you expect the outcome to be based on what we saw during oral arguments? Well, I think Ms. Stevens and the other plaintiffs, um, their three consolidated cases, mm-hmm. have a really strong case. And the whole idea behind Title VII is that it prohibits discrimination on the basis of race and on the basis of sex. And the question whether sexual orientation is included in that prohibition of discrimination on the basis of sex seems pretty straightforward. Um, the whole idea here is that Ms. Stevens would not have been fired if she had continued to present as a man. And in the same vein, Mr. Bostock, who is one of the plaintiffs in the other case, would not have been fired if his employer had not found out that his preferences were for other men. If he had had preferences for women, he would have been fine. That's clearly about sex. Um, Your sexual preferences relate inextricably to the question of the sex of your partner. So it seems a pretty straightforward case. It should be straightforward for the court, including the court's conservative majority, which over time has expressed a strong preference for textualism in interpreting statutes. And textualism here would say that sex discrimination is pretty straightforward, and this would include discrimination on the basis of sex. So I think this presents a real quandary for the conservative members of the court because it would require a decision that may be out of sync with their ideological priors, but it would require doing something that would be consistent with what they've done elsewhere methodologically. What about this idea that this would be consistent with the way that the law has been interpreted for a long time? I think there's a tension there because we still see so many instances in which people are discriminated against because of gender identity issues or because of sexual orientation. Is there is this asking the court to take a step forward in enforcement of the law or is it simply to maintain the status quo as as it should be? 
Well, one of the things that the administration, which has defended um, the defendant's view that this should not include, this should not be protected as sex discrimination, is this idea that in 1964, when Title VII was first promulgated, they could not have contemplated the possibility of prohibiting discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation. That's certainly true, but that's never prohibited the court from expanding the ambit of anti-discrimination statutes when a new form of discrimination um, emerges and is complementary to the kinds of discriminations that were contemplated under the statute. And Justice Scalia, a very notable conservative, said in an earlier case um, on call that discrimination um, that is complementary should be included in the understanding of the statute. And so that would certainly be a situation here. Sexual discrimination is not that far removed from what you might contemplate in ordinary discrimination on the basis of sex. And so it should be folded in here. So again, I don't think this is a really difficult case. I think what makes it difficult is that it really presents the conservative justices with a tension between their methodological approach and what they ideologically might be inclined to do. Let's talk about some other issues that may come up this term or in future terms. We've got a new makeup of the court with Brett Kavanaugh replacing Anthony Kennedy, who was seen for many years as the swing vote, somebody who had more progressive views on at least a few issues. Brett Kavanaugh is at least assumed not to share those views. Is this going to be a dark time for progressive causes like reproductive rights, civil rights at the Supreme Court? Um, It remains to be seen, but I think the initial outlook seems a little ominous. Um, Anthony Kennedy was the person who wrote all four of the court's major gay rights decisions. Um, He could be counted on to be a fifth vote for those issues. And again, I think that Title VII case that was argued yesterday um, would look very different if we understood that Justice Kennedy would be casting a fifth vote. Um, Right now, I think the liberals on the court are looking for the person who would provide that fifth vote, and it's not obvious who that might be. I think that would be very different were Justice Kennedy still on the court. Abortion, as you say, is another area where Justice Kennedy, who um, could be uneven in his views about abortion regulations, could at times be counted on if he thought the laws were too restrictive and impeded a woman's right to choose an abortion too heavily. And so, for example, in 2016, he provided the crucial fifth vote to strike down two Texas laws that would have basically limited abortion to just a few cities in Texas if they had gone into effect. Now with him off the court and with two new justices, Justice Neil Gorsuch and Justice Brett Kavanaugh, it's an open question about what the future of abortion restrictions will look like. I think we will have a clear indicator this term. The court has taken certiorari on a critical case, June Services versus G, which presents virtually the same issue that the court heard in 2016 in Whole Women's Health versus Hellerstedt, whether an admitting privileges law is an undue burden on a woman's right to choose an abortion. In 2016, in that Whole Women's Health case, the court found that it did present an undue burden and it struck down the law. This is the identical law. The only difference is that it was passed by the Louisiana state legislature rather than the Texas state legislature. And still, the court saw fit to take certiorari on it instead of summarily dismissing it and referring to its earlier decision. So I think that suggests that they are ready, um, and at least some of them are willing to revisit the question of what is restrictive, how restrictive can states be, and ultimately whether or not Roe versus Wade remains good law. 
at, at the same time, I think you have to wonder whether this time on the court will seem like an opportunity to conservatives and other people on the opposite side of the political spectrum who may see an opportunity to, to get things changed in a, in a dramatic way that they haven't had before. How worried are you that we will see more aggressive challenges to the status quo now, which progressives would say is probably not quite good enough? Uh, could we see a rollback of some of these some of these rights uh, as the other side pushes the court to indulge that? Well, that's not a hypothetical. I mean, that is actually happening. We saw this spring that more and more states are passing ever more restrictive laws Mm -hmm. on abortion. Um, Georgia, for example, passed a very restrictive law in the spring. Alabama also followed suit. These state legislatures have been emboldened by the changed composition of the court. Um, They think the court is more hospitable to their cause, and they are pressing for a full frontal attack on Roe. Um, Justice Thomas, um, the court's most conservative member, also, I think, sees that the opportunity is apparent um, for the conservative movement to move forward with their plans to eviscerate Roe. Last term, he wrote in a couple of separate writings that he had a very different take on the whole principle of stare decisis, which basically says the court follows settled decisions. His view in the separate writing was that stare decisis was not applicable if the decision was demonstrably erroneous. Mm -hmm. And he didn't say what demonstrably erroneous meant, but uh, we can assume that he means that if he or and four others believe it is wrong, it is something that the court can address. And he says it is the court's obligation to correct a demonstrably erroneous precedent. So I think there are people within the court and outside the court who very much understand this newly constituted court to be an opportunity to press ahead with a more conservative agenda. So these are not hypotheticals. This is happening right now. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guest is Melissa Murray. She's a professor of law at NYU, and she is speaking at Wayne State University tomorrow at 4 p.m. in the Community Arts Auditorium here at Wayne. Uh, She is talking about political realignment, reproductive rights, and justice. We are talking now about the opening of the new term at the U.S. Supreme Court. It opened Earlier this week and yesterday, Metro Detroiter Amy Stevens became the first person to have a discrimination case heard in front of the court on the basis of gender identity. We're talking about what other causes and issues this court may see a little differently than the court did in the past. Uh, Brett Kavanaugh is a new member of the court considered to be more conservative, maybe less flexible on some of these issues than Anthony Kennedy, the justice he replaced. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call, 313-577-1019. You can call and talk either about Amy Stevens' case, which was argued yesterday in front of the justices, what you think about this idea of gender identity and discrimination, especially in the workplace, uh, or just give us a call and tell us what you're thinking about the court these days and what the court will look like, how it will behave with this new majority that is presumed to be a little more conservative than the one we had. As always, again, 313-577-1019 is the number, 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or go to Twitter and uh, hashtag Detroit Today and we'll work you into the conversation. Let's go to Kevin in Sterling Heights. Kevin, what's on your mind? Good good morning. Hey. Um, I was wondering how the Supreme Court um, should 
try to thread the needle between eliminating discrimination in the workplace for transgender people and yet preserving the um, ability for women to participate in sports on a true sex basis, not a gender identity basis. Because if, if gender identity is the only criteria, uh, women's sports at the, any, the junior high, high school, and college level, and professional level for that matter, will be basically destroyed. Because you believe that, that people who were born as males would then transition to, to, to female and then play women's sports? Is that what you're... That, that's already happening, and they're destroying women's records. That's interesting, I mean, Kevin. I, uh, I've, I've heard a, a few instances of that coming up, but I'm not, sure, I'm not sure how widespread it is. Melissa Murray, talk about this idea of discrimination and gender identity and whether this does introduce a host of new issues, not just for the court to deal with, but for us culturally to deal with, as this idea of how you ensure that people are free to do the things that they should be able to do and not discriminated against on the basis of who they are, but also not able to, I guess, take advantage, as Kevin is saying, of, uh, of, of non-discrimination law as a way of tilting sports or other things uh, in their favor. Well, so the question of women's sports frequently comes up um, in the context of this larger question of LGBTQIA rights and the rights of trans persons. Um, again, we might think of it as a kind of poison pill that's meant to sort of end conversations about this kind of discrimination. I think everyone understands that um, discrimination against women is wrong and that discrimination against LGBTQIA people are, is wrong. Um, what to do about women's sports, I think, is a different topic. Um, I think there are a growing share of adults who support this kind of non-discrimination protections. And yet, you know, it does seem as though the anti-discrimination impulse might allow um, individuals to come into women's sports who may have an advantage, and, and that's a real concern. I don't know how big a concern it is. I mean, again, as you say, this seems like um, a much smaller problem relative to the many thousands of people who rely on Title VII for sexual orientation discrimination protection because their own states don't have these protections in state laws. So, again, I mean, we may be thinking about an apples to oranges problem, but that's sort of the case with any kind of anti-discrimination measure. The issue in 1954, after Brown versus Board of Education was announced from the court, was what to do about religious individuals mm -hmm. who believed that segregation was ordained by God. I mean, so we've found a way to thread that needle, and I think we will find a way to thread the needle on women's sports. But I do want to emphasize, I think the number of people who are affected by the prospects, still hypothetical, of women's sports being overrun by, individual who are by individuals who were once male and now present as female and identify as female seems much smaller than the many, many people who are threatened on the job with discrimination because of their sexual orientation. Okay. Melissa Murray, professor at NYU Law, thanks very much for being here with us on Detroit Today. Thank you. And you can catch Melissa's lecture about political realignment, reproductive rights, and justice tomorrow at 4 p.m. at the Community Arts Auditorium right here at Wayne State University. Up next, we're going to take a look at what's happening around water safety and infrastructure in two Oakland County communities, a familiar story playing out in yet another place. 
Stay with us on Detroit Today.